God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a one to two sentence review on iTunes or wherever else you can give it a little push. It helps the show reach more listeners, plus it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming David Muller to the show. David is a Los Angeles-based headshot and portrait photographer. He actually started out as an actor in New York, appearing in dozens of national commercials and print campaigns, as well as several co-star and guest star gigs for TV. But about 10 years ago, he followed his passion for photography. And in 2010, 11, and 12, was named one of LA's favorite headshot photographers by the influential Backstage Reader's Choice Awards. And in 2015, Backstage also named him one of eight killer headshot photographers in LA and New York. I met David through family friends, and as we got to know each other, it became clear very quickly that David has an extraordinary and unique point of view on the religious experience. Like you, I'm hearing the full story for the first time. So let's get ready for some extremes, friends. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much, Nick. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, man. Okay, so like David and I were hanging out, sharing a beer at one point. I must have been talking to you about the show and then probably just started up like, so what, what was your upbringing? And you're like, yeah, man, it was, kind of, it was kind of wild. And I really don't know much about it beyond, and, I, and I'll jump into it in just a second, but like... As I referenced in the introduction, like, I really don't know a lot about what you're going to tell me, so I'm very excited to hear it. And um, more than anything, the most important thing to get at is what did you have for breakfast this morning? Okay, so for breakfast, I, I it's so funny because I've been thinking about this. I am such a creature of habit that I literally eat the same breakfast every day. No! And I'll do it for years. I'll spend years eating the exact same breakfast, and then I'll switch it up randomly. I'll switch it up, and then I'll eat that breakfast for years and years and years. Uh, okay, so first, I want to know the pre-breakfast before the transition to this current breakfast. The the previous breakfast was I was following the paleo diet, uh, oh, Whole30, okay. and I started making uh, a scramble, scrambled eggs with vegetables and some meat chopped in there, uh, and I would and hot sauce, and I would just do that every day. I would slightly mix up some of the ingredients here and there, you know, uh, but for the most part. Literally, and and my wife at the time, uh, she would eat it with me because she went on the diet with me, and we got into a year of the same breakfast. She's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore, <laughs> and I I I did it for I believe three years. Three years, <laughs> yes. Every morning, yes. I mean, maybe here and there, special, go out to eat, but I would order, you know, if we went out to eat, I'd order a scramble or you wow. know, like something very similar. And, and the weird thing is, is yeah. that I spent my entire childhood hating eggs. I didn't eat eggs until I was 40. You I, didn't I even eat and hated them. I, like would, you had, like you had been given them as a child. If I took a bite, it would just kind of gag me. I, I didn't like the texture. I didn't like the, the flavor. It wow. Just, yeah. But when you mix it with other things and you add some cheese in there, yeah, and hot sauce, hot sauce, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it's like, oh, this isn't, oh you know. God, so I a lot of die by eggs. 
It's amazing to think that you didn't eat eggs until you were 40. That's crazy. So my current breakfast yeah, 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 yeah. is I make two turkey patties uh, that are made by Idell's, if you've you ever seen those in the grocery store. Okay. Uh, two turkey patties. I'm on keto now, so okay. I don't eat hardly any carbs. Uh, two eggs, so fry, uh, fried eggs, uh, avocado, like probably half an avocado. And then I either have, uh, I make a keto bread. It's like a roll. Okay. I'll put it on that. It's or, a non-gluten bread. Kind exactly. Of thing. It's made from almond flour okay. and like psyllium husk. Um, and or psyllium if I don't use husk is a beautiful. What is psyllium? It's like fiber. It's like a fiber. Mm. So psyllium husk is a fiber. Yeah. So you have sort of like an out. You have two turkey patties, a half an avocado, and like some sort of and two eggs, and yeah. I either do it on the roll or I have uh, uh, these cauliflower um, like sandwich thins that I'll put it on that that I get at Whole Foods. When do you allow yourself to throw off your rhythm? Like, what happens? Does this have to be a birthday or somebody else's celebration? It's, you can't get to, like, you're out traveling, right, or whatever. That happens. I, it, I feel like it's just more random. I, I, uh, you know, it's like the wind blows in a certain direction. Like, just recently, I my mom bought me, uh, for, for Christmas, she bought me a deep fryer. And she's like, you're going to fill it with avocado oil. And because it's a healthy oil, you can cook it at a high heat. And so I've been making chicken wings now, and I've done it probably three out of the last five nights. I've done chicken wings. Right, so now right. I'm, I'm like the ah. chicken wing generation is <laughs> yeah, approaching. Right. Yeah, exactly. The chicken wing 2020s. <laughs> That's amazing. 2020s, the year of the chicken wing. All right, man. This is where we dive in. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? So the earliest back that I remember... Well, I actually recently spoke to my aunt a few years ago, and she told me that when I was four years old, I asked her, what is God? When you were four? When I was four. And I had no idea that this was the case. And you asked your aunt? My aunt, because she went to church. She, okay. she and my uh, my cousins, which were her, her two boys, same age as me, uh, they went to Catholic church, and you know it was a regular thing for them. And I grew up with absolutely... No church, you know. Your, knew, your parents I knew nothing had... about religion. I knew nothing about church. I knew nothing about Jesus. You know. Did you have both of your parents as you were being? My raised? parents were separated okay. or divorced. Sorry, when I was uh, around two. Okay. Uh, so you know, I was had visitation with my dad. Um, both my parents had grown up in Catholic school, and they were both just done with, with Catholicism and and uh, that kind of a thing. So right. they didn't introduce any of that to me because they had bad experiences, you know, right. with the nuns and, you know, getting their, getting oh, their sure. knuckles yeah, wrapped. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff like that. Absolutely, man. Oh no, my dad used to talk about this stuff. I mean, yeah, they used to wrap their knuckles. They used to hit them on the ass, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. They yeah. They'd, they'd, they'd straight up just be beating kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on. So, so your I, parents, but they didn't try to replace it with something else. They didn't try to kind of um, they weren't introducing it to you at all at that age, but you were clearly inquisitive about it at a young age, too. Absol- yeah, absolutely n- nothing from my parents. I was inquisitive. And then my next sort of memory, foggy memory of like my thinking about God uh, was in elementary school. A lot of the kids that I went to school with went to an after-school thing called CCD. Oh, yeah, I know uh, CCD. Which we lived in Camden County, so they uh, lovingly referred to it as the Camden County Dump. That's, that's what it was. So that's what I knew is, you know... the Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry... You're in where are you again? New Jersey. You're in yeah, Jersey. South Jersey. And I, I remember having a certain sort of intrigue into what they were doing or what that was about. Uh, I really literally, like I said, just knew nothing about religion and uh, had no religion in my life. And then when I was in seventh grade, uh, my mom became a born-again Christian. And the way that that oh, happened okay. was that 
so I went from zero to into this born again Christian life. The way that that happened was she was in her twenties. She was a younger mom, so she was in her twenties, single, you know, just kind of looking for meaning in life. But at the same time, you know, having a good time out partying and you know drinking, doing some. She was doing some drugs. Um, Were you an only child? I was an only child. Yeah, and she had this moment where some stuff had gone down in her life where someone that she, a therapist that she was seeing got cancer and died and she felt very helpless and hopeless and and a a chiropractor that she had known had given her a Bible uh, before that. And so she randomly, you know, was going through this torment. She had just found out this news about this, you know, this person that she really looked up to and was kind of helping her in life uh, that, that that had passed away. So she picked up a Bible and she opened to, I think it's Matthew, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And she you know, got very emotional and flushed all her drugs down the toilet and uh, went through the yellow pages and found a local church and decided to go to the church. And, you know, next thing I know, I, I'm going to church with my mom, knowing, you know, knowing zero about religion or God or anything. And there we are in this sort of like really reserved fundamentalist church. A lot of old people, they would, you know, they would sing hymns. It wasn't like a lot of the churches today where they're singing, you know, they're doing rock music and stuff like that. This was like old school uh, hymnals and the preacher would do a half hour sermon. That was it. Uh, everything was just very methodical. And, and it, it was an interesting experience because for me, I of course believed what they're you know, the message that they're telling me because I'm young, I don't know, I have no worldview at all. I don't know what I believe about life or or anything. And all of a sudden they're telling me, you know, you're a sinner and, you know, God expects you to believe in him and repent. And, and you know, I'd seen this change in my mom. And of course, I'm greatly influenced by that. So, of course, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm along for the ride at this point. That experience with your aunt was was just a one-time experience. You never went to church with her and her and your cousins? We, I uh, went one time with them. And all I remember was how bored I was because it was, no offense, Catholic mass. And it was, you know, I, I think half of it was in Latin. And people oh, wow. Were just, yeah, back then, right. People yeah, were I like mean, standing we were younger, and kneeling. Yeah, you and, could have been at places that were doing yeah. Latin. Amazing. I just remember everyone repeating stuff, and I was like, "Wait, what, uh, you know, I, didn't, I had no idea you were supposed to repeat stuff." And so sure. it was just—I was just a fish out of water, and and it, you know, it didn't intrigue me enough because there was so much ceremony and ritual that I wasn't interested in. And so it just—you know—it was just a normal thing. We now were churchgoers, and we would go to church Sunday, and then we would have uh, even a Bible study. And my mom, of course, my mom was always the type that was like, you know right-hand man, and so she would have the Bible Bible studies at our house, and so mm. the pastor would come over with some other congregants, and, you know, so I got very quickly assimilated into this life of Christianity, and just, you know, very sort of simple fundamentalist, but, you know, I, and I had certain restrictions on my life going through high school, so I was there seventh grade through high school. I had to really fight my mom to let me go to my prom. I couldn't go to my junior prom, but she let me go to my senior prom, because, you know, secular music and... I mean, seventh grade, you're relatively awake as a young person at that point. I mean, you must have, what is that? Oh, you're 11 or something at that time? I want to say 11 you're or 12. 13, 14. Yeah, somewhere around yeah. there, right? So, yeah. so you had experiences of listening to secular music and you had a sure. mom who partied and stuff yeah. at times. I'm sure you were around her partying at times or yeah. drinking and listening to loud music. So you went from having those cultural experiences in your life, your own home, mm-hmm. and then this hard stop. 
And now she's asking, she's demanding that you don't follow any of those things anymore. Yeah. I mean, I had, wake to some of these pop songs and stuff as yeah, a young kid. It was a complete 180. I had in, in my room as a kid, I had cable television in my room as an elementary school. I, was, I could watch HBO. Wow. And, you know, watch porkies and whatever movies that I you know wanted to watch and right HBO and back then was, uh, was quite racy and important for a young yeah. child I remember we tried to steal HBO a few times <laughs> you know went from that to no R-rated movies no and not even R-rated but like anything with language no secular music dancing was like off you know like very footloose very off that was off the table um but it, it wasn't severe it was you know it was moderate as far as but that's my hindsight. Hindsight, it was moderate. Yeah. At the time, it sucked. I couldn't go to my prom or, you know. Did you mean? try like, to get that stuff in other places? Did you listen to that music at school? Did you hang out with people? Or were you like... It wasn't pretty... very rebellious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were you were like, okay, well, this is what I should be doing. So I'm going to try to do it the best I can. Yeah. And then and in high school, I got involved in Young Life. If you're familiar with that, it's a Christian youth group. I'm yeah. not, but I did like campus ministry and stuff like right. that. A different so, name for it. Young Life is, is, a, is a part of the yeah. born again community. Exactly. Okay. Then uh, I went to college. This is where things start to take a turn. Uh, I go to college, and I go to a local college. It's an hour away down at the South Jersey Shore. Now I'm partying. Now I'm like, mom's not around, pastor's not around. And I was just curious. Like, I hadn't, didn't have, you know, many experiences partying or whatever, and I wanted to experience that as a lot of kids do. You want to kind of get out of your shell. And so I started, uh, you know, just drinking more and frat parties and those kind of things. And it was one year. And during that year, uh, I, I felt like I was like coming out of my shell a little bit. And, and uh, people would tell me like, I look like actors on TV and stuff. And so I got it in my head that I wanted to be an actor. And I decided uh, I'm not going to continue uh, to go to college because if I do that, then I'll never pursue you know acting, which all of a sudden is this new passion for me. And so I decided I'm not going back for a second year of college. Uh, I live in New Jersey. I'm going to take the bus into Manhattan. I'm going to pound the pavement. And that's what I started doing. And I got a manager in Philadelphia and she started, you know, sending me out on auditions. She was a really good one too. I booked the very first commercial, uh, the national commercial that I went out for, for Heinz Ketchup, a uh, really big director, you know, at the time. A oh, that's a director. big commercial, man. Yeah. So, you know, my, I just had stars in my eyes at that point and, uh, and it was great. But so I had moved back home because I had no money, you know, had a little part-time job at a pizzeria, but I was like, if I'm going to go to New York and, you know, do this, I need to be living at home for now. And so, so I moved home and my parents were somewhat supportive of, of this move. They were like, okay, you know, if that's what you think you want to do, do Did it. Did you go back and live with your mom or your dad? I lived with my mom. Yeah. Okay. So during this time that I had been away, my mom grew kind of bored with the fundamentalist church that we were going to. And there was another guy that she was friends with at the church who had been going to a different type of church. This church was in West Philadelphia. And it was uh, a, a big church, like I'd say three, 300 plus people, uh, all African-American, not, you know, only he was the only white guy going there. And it was Pentecostal. More specifically, it was apostolic. So apostolic is a denomination of Pentecostalism. So if you're not familiar with Pentecostalism, what Pentecostalism is, they believe in speaking in tongues. Yes, good. Good. Sherry Shepard mentioned this. I was trying to remember what makes Pentecostalism exactly what it is. She found Jesus in a Pentecostal church right. and uh, after having grown up a witness. And so she yeah. learned to speak in tongues. Sure. Okay, so you... Okay, okay so, go on. So Pentecost... And, and just where Pentecostalism comes from. So uh, Pentecost is a, is a Jewish... 
it's a holy day. It's a, it's the day of Pentecost. So it comes around once a year. It's it's a ritualistic day for the Jews. And on that day in the New Testament, after Jesus resurrected, the Holy Spirit came, and all the people who were there on the day of Pentecost spoke in other tongues. And it was the, according to the New Testament, it's the day that the Holy Spirit came to live in the believers. And and they and the evidence of that was they spoke in other tongues. Wow. So that's rad. where Pentecostalism comes from. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Now, within Pentecostalism, as in within any form of Christianity, there are different there are slightly different beliefs because they take biblical verses and they make one more important than the other. Or so apostolic specifically, where they differ from traditional other Pentecostalism is is in baptism. So when you're baptized in a normal church, or in most churches, I should say, they baptize you, they say the words in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Apostolics, when they baptize, will only say in the name of Jesus Christ. They won't say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that's because they're not Trinitarians. They call themselves oneness, meaning they believe that God is one, he's not three persons. And if you ask me, a lot of it comes down to sort of semantics and things like that, but they're very hardcore about it. Like to them, you are not saved if the baptizer said in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because your sins are not washed away. Their benchmark verse is Acts 2.38, which is uh, Peter said to everyone, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises unto you and to your children and to as many as afar off. Uh, wow. And so Look at they that. take that. Very... Did you, can I just ask, did you have to review that at all before you walked in here? No. Yeah, you just that's, have that's that That's burned into my brain. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's great. But that that's their verse. I mean, like, if you went to a convention of apostolic people, it's like on their t-shirt, Acts 2.38. Like, right. that's their verse. Just like John 3.16 is sort of the verse of, you know, fundamentalists or whatever. Right. So they live by that, that you have to have baptized a certain way, and you have to speak in tongues to prove your salvation, to prove that God lives in you and, and that your sins are in remission. You know what? I, I don't mean to cut you off yeah. at this point, but... It's like a good time to take a break. Let's take a break. And I can see that you're about to load something new. Perfect. That, that's an amazing cutoff point. Okay. And we'll be right back in just a minute. Okay, everybody, we're back with David. And um, he was just about to, to jump off in a direction. And I can't wait to listen. So when I moved back home so that I could pursue auditioning, my mom was now going to this church and I would wake up at five in the morning because she would be in her bedroom speaking in tongues, just incredibly loud, just like screaming in tongues. And I, I had known a little, she was telling me a little bit about this church, you know, that she was going to. And to me, this is all of a sudden like this is off the wall. Like, what's going on? But I, you know, I love my mom and I believe in her, and and it's like she's she's into this thing all of a sudden. And I can't, I couldn't deny that it wasn't fake. Like she wasn't faking this emotion. She wasn't just like making up. She didn't learn this language. It was just really like flowing out of her in this highly emotional state, and it was happening every morning. And she seemed to have this sort of newfound. Uh, you know, just revived spirit for Christianity and for life. And I was just, at the very least, I was I was very intrigued. 
Yeah, man. I just sidebar for those listening. I was just like mouth agape listening to that, but I didn't want to interrupt. Okay. Yeah. So at some point I decide, or I agree to, you know, come check out this new church with her on a Sunday. And I remember walking in for the first time and I just literally felt like we walked in and every head just turned and looked at us. So not to sound weird or anything, but I was 20 years old and I walked in and it was, it was a black part of town. It's West Philadelphia. The church was entirely black. We were the only white people there. And when you walk in, I mean, they are dancing in the aisles. They are screaming and shouting. They're rolling on the floor. They're speaking in tongues. They're, you know, the organ player is going crazy. Like, it's just a whole different thing than what I was used to. And just very, you know, incredibly intrigued by all that's going on and this passion that these people have for God, for, for their God, you know. And it doesn't take long for you to be there, and they notice you, and they come up to you, and they want you to get the Holy Spirit. So their whole thing is they want you to speak in tongues so that you can prove that you, or that you have, I shouldn't say proof, that you have the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you. And of course, to do that, you have to repent of your sins, and this is all, again, based on that verse. So what they do is they call it tarrying for the Holy Spirit. And the reason they call it tarrying is because they're pretty much, most apostolics only read the King James Version of the Bible. For whatever reason, I think they think that it's a bit more original, um, even though it's just a translation that was translated in the 1500s and into the language that we spoke then. But to them, it was a more authentic version than an NIV or you know an American Standard or something like that. Amazing, great. Thank uh, you. The problem is, is that most of us don't understand sort of King James English. You know, it's like when I read Shakespeare, I, I have a hard time knowing what they're talking about because sure, we don't yeah. speak that. You don't speak those words anymore. So it says in the Bible that they tarried for the Holy Spirit. It meant they waited for the Holy Spirit. So the word tarry just means waiting. But they take you into a room and they want you to praise. So they're very big into praising God. So that includes hand clapping, raising your hands in the air, using hallelujah, 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 and thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. So that's like, you know, you'll hear that kind of constantly in these churches. And you're sort of, you're you're left to like clap and praise and, and ask God for the Holy Spirit. And they got me to a point where, this is over time, I was convinced now that I was no longer saved. Like I thought I had been saved in the in the church, you know, all my upbringing in the church and all the times, you know, I said the sinner's prayer. I was sure that I was saved, but they're now convincing me and they're showing me these, you know, these verses that, you know, about speaking in tongues and the evidence of the Holy Spirit and the baptism. So I got baptized and, you know, here I am tarrying week after week and, and I'm getting to a point where I'm like, what is going on? Like, why am I, why am I not getting this? Is God mad at me? This whole thing. And so like, I'm going into the room and, Jesus, 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 and all this stuff, and like nothing, and they're shaking tambourines in your ear, and they're clapping behind you. It's a whole, it's a conjuring, honestly, is what it is. Wow. Um, and it just wasn't happening. So I made how, it, how long had it been at this point? How many days? I mean, it had been like several, you know, several Sundays in a row, probably eight weeks at this point. Okay. And I made a friend at the church, really nice guy, came up to me, um, and... Uh, just kind of became friends with me, super outgoing guy. And he invited me to a convention that they were having in North Carolina. He's like, you'll get the Holy Spirit at the convention. You'll definitely get it at the convention. So I was like, okay. And I, I was just at a point where I'm like, I am getting the Holy Spirit. This is it. Like, I am after it. So we, we go to North Carolina, and 
the first night of the convention, they have serv- and their church services are three hours long. I mean, they're they're not playing around. It's like yeah, man, that's you know, a long time. Like they will just like a, just screaming a song. and dancing too, right? I mean, well, I, yeah. I mean, there are some there are some there are moments where you get to sit down. There's formal moments to it, yeah, where they do announcements and you know things like that. They have testimony service, so people get up and testify, and one person's testimony can turn into a ten minute like praise session. You know what I mean? So right. there's just there's no. There's a format, but there's no time limit on the format. Okay. So the church service ends. I am just like, that's it. I was like, let's go, let's go, Terry. We're going to the room. So my buddy Willie, and he grabbed uh, two, you know, two elder women as they call them, and we went into a room. and And it's funny because they said to me, they're like, okay, because we started, and I'm doing my Jesus, 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 Hallelujah, Hallelujah, and they're like, you know, we found that most people when they when they get the Holy Spirit before it happens, they start stammering with their tongue like like that. So like we find it best to just start out with stammering. So start out with just like that. So I listened to them. I did it. And we're we're tarrying for and again shaking the tambourine in my ear. You know, I'm sitting there in a chair just all by myself. Everyone's clapping around me, and I don't know how long it was. But at some point, I, I felt washed over with this incredibly bright light. Wow. It was, or I should say it was like a bright light in that my face like scrunched up so tight as if a bright light was shining in my face. And I just, I just felt this complete goodness. And I didn't hear myself speak in tongues but they, everyone stopped. They stopped what they were doing. So I knew that, I knew that something, because it was so cacophonous, like the whole thing, like I was being loud, they were being loud. I couldn't even hear what I was saying, but I felt this complete presence come over me. And it was the most, I mean, honest to God, the most wonderful thing that I've ever felt. It was just pure goodness, pure light and goodness. Wow. And I felt amazing. And I left that room thinking, knowing that like, I was safe and God loved me and uh, yeah, just felt, I felt amazing. And I would say for a month, I was just on cloud nine having had this experience. Wow. And I was finally relieved because I was like, I was getting to the point where I was so overwhelmed by the thought of death. Like I was like, I'm going to die before I get the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to hell. You know, it was just really, it was taking, it was taking its toll on me. And so I had this amazing experience. And then we go back to church. Everyone's, you know, congratulating me that I got the Holy Spirit. And uh, during this time, my mom had made friends with a woman who went to the church. And mind you, she had been going to this same church for, at that point, 30 to 40 years. She got in when she was 18. She was in her 60s. So, you know, we're talking 40 years in this church. And my mom became good friends with her. And my mom was really enamored by her because... A, she knew this faith very well. Uh, so, you know, she could explain a lot of things that were going on that we didn't understand and why they did this and why they did that. And she was extremely charismatic. And when I say charismatic, like she would get up to give a testimony, like I talked about earlier, and just emotion would just completely overtake her. And she would, you know, just be crying and screaming. It was all praise and how amazing God was. And you just couldn't help, like, whoever you are. You can't help but sit and look at her and just be like a little bit enamored by like this woman's zeal, this like absolute zeal. So over time, she tells us that God spoke to her and she's going to start her own church. 
And you know, my mom's like, yeah, do it. You know, my mom's 100% behind her. Start your own church. We're there to support you. And so she starts her own church. And it was just a little thing like Bible studies in a house as it started out. And you're still uh, going to the Pentecostal church? Still going also, to the big Pentecostal. But then you're doing the Bible thing on the side with this woman. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't long before we stopped going to the big church and just went to hers because she started doing Sunday, Sunday things. So, you know, time conflict. So she becomes our pastor, basically. Wow. And, and she did a really smart thing because she could tell, for, I think she could tell for me, I was, I was 20, I had my eyes on the world, I wanted to be an actor, you know what I mean? Like this, even though, even though I was into this experience at that time, I still had, you know, I still had eyes for other things. I wasn't looking to be sort of tied down in a church at this point. And I think she knew that, so she asked me to be the deacon of the church right away. Wow. Or, or pretty early on, she was, you know, asked me if uh, if I would be the deacon, and and so I was like, okay, sure. I didn't even know what that meant. I knew it was like a helper, you know, helper to the pastor. But I said yes, and that gave me like a whole new or a whole sense of responsibility now to to this. At least me. That's how I, you know, I'm a very yeah. When sort you of say loyal. smart, it's almost you mean cunning. Exactly of. cunning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, cut to just a little bit later in time. Like I said, she was extremely zealous, extremely passionate about, and and she grew up under a pastor who you know was old school and, and preached all this hellfire and brimstone type stuff, and everything's about living living right and living for the Lord and to, you know sort of towing the line and obedience. Uh, submit yourselves to those who have the rule over you, for they watch for your soul. And so we were very early on and, you know, taught to submit to authority, to submit to her authority because she was God's right-hand man. Wow, You know man. what I mean? Um, like very quickly in this transition from this place where you had just had this magnificent, like heightened yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. And what you, honestly, I could see, because you clearly had emotion in your voice, is like, to this day, still, that previous moment is one of the most intense, intensely kind of beautiful moments you've ever had. There's I mean, another with, one coming. With it, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> but within the heat, within a month or two after that experience, you're moving on to a different place, leaving these other friends that had helped get you to that point. Well, did Willie come with you? No, to this he, new place. No, because they see. This is the ironic thing: is that they don't generally believe in women preachers. So she was, you know, taking a huge step of God spoke to me in faith, and so we're now... So you kind of thought you were being cutting edge yeah. in some ways. Yeah. But she was actually... Well, she was going against the grain of, every, you know, she was ostracized by a lot of people by becoming a woman preacher, because they just don't believe in women preachers for the most, for the most part. Right. Most apostolic. But her rules were going to be stricter. The rules, yes. Yes, because she policed our lives. Mm -hmm. Because in a big church of 300 people, they can preach something from the pulpit, but when you walk out the door, you're free to do yeah, what you want to do. Yeah, they're not going to watch every one of 300 people. Degree. Sure. Right, okay. I mean, there's there's accountability with, you know, people who attend Bible study groups and things that people keep each other accountable to some degree. But, you know, in this circumstance, I mean, she got to the point where she called us five times a day. I hated for the phone to ring. You know, I, I just couldn't. And, she, you know, I, I just remember, like, I'd answer the door, praise the Lord. Brother Dave, you know, it was just, it was, uh, everything was always praise Lord. Everything was always talk positive, not talk positive, but, uh, you know, claim the victory, all these things that they get from the Bible, from verses in the Bible. And my main issue with apostolic, the faith is that 
they take the Bible very literally. And so I learned to take the Bible very literally, which is a dangerous thing. And that's why there, you know, there's so many different sects of Christianity because you can open up and find a verse and go, okay, I focus on this. This is, this is the important thing. And start, I could start a religion. I mean, you can literally open the Bible and start a religion based on, you know, lots of different things that you could open and read. Right. You know, you could say, this is what's important to God. How um, many people come with you? Uh, how many people are in this little congregation when you're the deacon? So at its height, 15 people, maybe? At its height. At its height. So at the beginning, there's maybe just a few of you? Yeah. Like friend of hers, her mother, and then, uh, yeah. It was it was very small, and it was in the height of our new church. It was mixed. It was about a third black, a third Hispanic, and a third white, roughly. Uh, so it was my mom and I, and also my aunt and her husband. They went as well. They got sucked in. The and, aunt who was Catholic. Uh, no, different aunt. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's like just curious. Yeah. Okay. Uh, although she did get sucked in for a little while, but she left. Okay. She came in and she just couldn't. She couldn't submit to the pastor's authority because she was. It was too hardcore, and so she was there for some time and left. I didn't even tell you about the dress code. So there's dress codes. So apostolic women don't. They don't cut their hair. Uh, that's from a verse in Corinthians about a woman's long hair is her glory. Uh, they don't wear pants. They uh, they only wear skirts uh, or long dresses. Uh, that's from a verse in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy that says that a woman should not dress like a man. Uh, and then they don't wear makeup, and that's from another verse in the New Testament about women adorning themselves with jewelry. Uh, or fine. So, um, dude, I love that you can rattle this stuff off. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really impressive to me. I, it's impressive in that I, it shows your how deep you you cared about it at mm. one point, how deeply, how how sincerely you took. This. And I and I did, but I'll be honest. A lot of it was fear. Uh, mm. It was it was largely fear based because the, so I actually got to the point where I memorized books and books of the Bible verbatim in the King James version. Ro Shut Romans up. has fifteen chapters. I memorized twelve chapters of Romans. I memorized the book of Galatians, Ephesians, First Peter, Second Peter, James. I mean, I could sit like a monologue and just go. I could just do it. And the reason was because we would go visit other churches and my pastor would be up at the pulpit preaching and she was a fiery preacher and she would get, you know, what would seem like anger and, yo, people ain't living right. They ain't living for God, you know, like this kind of a thing. And like, you know, hellfire brimstone basically. And Deacon Dave, find that verse. Like she would just say something, you know, God said this, find that verse. And so like, it was on me in front of a group of people to like find verses that she's talking about. So I was like, well, I better be on it here. So I started memorizing just so that I could quote verses back or know where they were. Yeah. Holy shit. Which really came in handy later. Uh, maybe I'll get back to that at some point. That, Please, that I, I don't know which I way you're going, but go whichever way and then get back, do everything. So um, there were rules on me as well. So I'm trying to be an actor. I'm not allowed to curse. I mean, for sure, I can't curse. You know, can't say curse words. So every audition, and I had a great manager, but every audition that came in, you know, pretty much I had to turn down. I was like, can't do that, can't do that. So like, and I'm embarrassed by that because it wasn't according to my, you know, what I felt was right and wrong. It was, it was what my pastor was telling me was right and wrong or what they believed or, you know, how they saw the Bible. And, and I think that's my, my sort of definition of a cult. Cause I say I was in a cult. And the reason I say I was in a cult is because I wasn't thinking for myself. I was 
everything was filtered through someone else's thoughts, you know, what someone else believed. Uh, and, and that's how I was living my life. And so to me, that's, you know, I think there's different levels of, of cult, you know, but that's, it sounds cultish. I mean, because this yeah. is, a, it's personality driven too. Yeah. this woman at the height of it only had 15 members. I mean, this is sure. something she could have just been doing in her house, yeah. you know? And so it, and it was. seems cult-esque. Yeah. And, and, and eventually, uh, we started doing it at m my house, my mom's house and, and my house. And so we would have you know, services on there on Sundays and, I'm going to touch on this because it's important later. Uh, my mom had two cats that she, my mom's a cat person. She just loves cats and they're important to her. And she talks to them and you know, whatever. And she's a little over the top of it, but whatever. Yeah, uh, but pets are little kids to, to lots of people. So that's normal Yeah, to some extent. So we got to the point where the pastor told my mom and, and look, everything that she came and told us was because she, she, this woman spent four to five hours a day praying. She fasted, all the time. We had to fast. We fasted several times a week. We weren't allowed to drink water. We had to wake up at 6 a.m., fast till 6 p.m., no food, no water. You couldn't no, tell anybody that you were fasting because the Bible says that. <laughs> wow. And none of this stuff was being done in the previous Pentecostal church. Sometimes people would fast they or would something. Call, the, the pastor would call a fast, but he doesn't know who's fasting and who's not. It was just the dedicated people would listen to the pastor and, you know, and... and but this person, this woman was just on you this all was, the time. She would call you at 6 a.m., praise the Lord, you know. You're wow. like, Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so fasting several times a week. I wasn't allowed to, uh, and this is where just their sort of religion had certain rules that aren't necessarily biblical, but they followed them, and she was strict about them. I couldn't wear shorts, couldn't wear any kind of cut-off shirt to like show arms or anything like that. It was a modesty thing. Uh, couldn't grow any facial hair at all. Like I, you know, wasn't allowed to have any facial hair. And and the ridiculous, most ridiculous reasons. Like I was, the reason for that was in the Old Testament, Joseph. They brought him before the king, and before they brought him before the king, they cleaned him and shaved him. And they're like, if you're going to come before a, a human king cleaned and shaved, you got to come before God cleaned and shaved. And so, just these ridiculous uh, sort of. Like, you know, why do we need to extrapolate that? Right, right. You know, well, this the, is the problem with yeah. taking the Bible literally right. or thinking that everything you read in the Bible, you can just take that and apply it to your life. Right. So I had, a, you know, a good amount of rules that conflicted with the acting career that I was trying to Yeah, man, it sounds and, like your acting career was never going to get off the ground. I actually did a commercial. <laughs> I did a sprint commercial. And I was a guy, I was supposed to be playing a college kid in a laundromat doing laundry. And at the fitting... They tried to put me in shorts, and I had to tell them that I couldn't. And you got to understand, I didn't agree with this rule. Like, I thought this was stupid rules. Like, I didn't see any immodesty. And this is where I say I was in a cult because I'm doing something that someone else wants me to do that they believe that I don't believe. And I had to tell the director. And I was just so humiliated that, uh, you know, I was like, it's against my religion to wear shorts. And he's like, you should have told us this. And I just, you know, it was kind of devastating to a 20-year-old to a kid. Sure, you know, man. Yeah. Um, I ran into him later in LA and I, I was like, you remember that? I was like, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, it would be nice to touch base with those people from that. I can imagine the yeah. connecting on that level. Did, did he know? Did he remember? He remembered. I mean, yeah. like that's a pretty extraordinary moment. I'm He's sure a, he would yeah. remember that story. Yeah. Wow. David, I'm looking down at the time. I got to take another break here. Okay. okay? So uh, I feel like I'm going to need another 40 minutes with you. We're going to talk about this in a second.
right, everybody, we're back in the last segment with David, and I just feel like I'm on a roller coaster, so keep going. Okay, so back to, I think I sidetracked, but uh, back to the cats. So the, the cats is important because my pastor and my mom were very close, but at the same time, uh, my mom could kind of drive her a little crazy because my mom's the type that, you know, she'll ask a lot of questions, she'll challenge things a lot, and, you know, she wanted authority and she didn't want to have to answer to anybody's, but, you know, she, my mom gave a lot of money to the church, so she would indulge her. But she she got to the point where she told my mom that the Lord spoke to her and that the cats were idols and that she was worshiping these cats and that they were idols and that she had to get rid of them. That's fucked So man. my mom struggled <laughs> with it for a while, you know, but wanted to be obedient to God. And so she found a home for these two cats, a, a man that she worked with, and gave up the cats. I mean, it broke her heart, you know, it absolutely broke her heart to give up the cats. And it took about three years, about three years into having given up the cats, she just was still not over it. And she couldn't get past it. And she was sad and she was depressed half the time. And I'm like gung ho. I'm like, I'm living for the Lord at this point. You know, I'm telling my manager stuff like, I don't care. I'll live for Jesus. I will never say shit, you know, or anything like that. Or, um, you know, I'm gung ho and I'm telling my mom, you know, well, you just need to get over it. Or I, I'm being, I'm turning into what they want me to turn into. Or not that they want me to turn into. I, I don't for, attribute no, for sure. bad motives to people in this. Yeah, you know, it's okay. like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. This woman was living out what she believed, what she was taught. You know, it was handed down to her from 18 years old and to, you know, whatever. And, and she's living the life that she believes that God wants. Uh, and and that's a life of obedience and a life of just Jesus and only God and um, everything else can take a walk, you know. And so we got to a point. So here's here's how I left. Here's how I finally left the church was I booked a job in New York uh, as a print model for Steve Madden shoes. I was the first uh, male model for Steve Madden campaign. Big money for me at the time, $4,500. I was super pumped. And okay, so I didn't tell you this. We went to church twice on Sundays, Wednesday night Bible study, Friday night Bible study. So I was in church four times a week. This is my 20s. Like I'm in my prime, my 20s. I hadn't dated. I hadn't dated or kissed a girl in six for six years while I was there. I was there for six years total. Um, wow. And I booked this job, and this job is on a Friday, and I'm in New York. I do the job. Everything goes great. Uh, I'm coming home, and it's Friday night, so rightfully I should be heading to Bible study, but it was really late. I wasn't looking to get back to the bus station until like 10 or 10.30, and it was just going to be too late. Like, they'd be getting out of church. So I went home. I'm home kind of just, you know, hanging out, waiting for my mom to get home. My mom gets home, and she comes in, and she goes, well, I'm never going back there again. (laughs) And I was like, what? And she said, that's it. She said... I just know that if God wanted me to give up the cats, he would have made it easy. You know, he he would have given me peace in my heart. And she had apparently, you know, had words with the pastor and that was it. She wasn't going back. And my heart sunk because what that meant, what I knew intrinsically what that meant for me was that my mom would be considered a backslider. Sorry. No, man, take your time. And I would have to disown, I would have to disown her essentially. Wow. And so, 
I just remember this gut-wrenching, you know, just a gut-wrenching feeling. I didn't, I was sick to my stomach because I knew that, look, there was a part, a big part of me that I didn't ever want to go back either because on some level I was very unhappy. On another level, I was deceived and I was, it was happy in my deception to some degree. But I just knew I was like, I'm gonna have to move out. Like I'm not gonna be able to associate with my mom because there's very there's verses in the Bible about people who are you know, who are not part of the faith anymore. They're backsliders. Don't eat with them. It says you know. So I was like, Mom, let's pray because that's all all we knew to do. All we ever knew to do was like pray about things. You know, it's like if you didn't have an answer, just pray, take it to God. And we only knew one way to pray at this point because we had been really instructed on, you know, giving praise. Prayer wasn't wasn't good enough. Had to be praise. God wants your praise. He wants your loud noises. You'll do it at a football game. You'll do it at a basketball game. But you go to church and you're quiet. You know, this is stuff that they ram down your throat and make you feel guilty. Um, so I was like, Mom, let's pray. And so we both are doing our thing. We're clapping our hands. We're hallelujah, hallelujah. We're raising raising our hands and all that. <laughs> And if you remember the experience that I told you about, well, I had that experience again. I felt this bright, powerful light come over me. I literally couldn't even stand on my feet. I fell to my knees. I was speaking uncontrollably in tongues. And that's important because I can speak in tongues. Like I've learned you how to do it. I can just rattle it off, you know, like you hear Creflo Dollar do on TV or whatever. But this was different. This was, I had, I had no control. And literally, I, I, certain, I say that God spoke to me because certain answers came to me. Certain things came to me. And the first thing that came to me was flee in haste. That was the exact words. <laughs> You're in an evil situation. Wow. And then, and then I heard Brownsville. Brownsville. I didn't know what that meant, but I, when that, when that's, when that ended, when that, it was probably 30 seconds to a minute at the, you know, at the most, I got up off the floor, 100% peace, my whole body, just peaceful, just, I, I just knew, I knew I was free to go. And I looked at my mom and I said, we can leave. I said, we can leave. And she was, you know, she was joyful. And I called my pastor that night, or she might have called me. Probably she called me. And I said to her, the Lord met me tonight, and he spoke to me, and he told me I could leave. And I've been wanting to leave for a long time, but this is it. And she says, well, you know, you can outgrow someone's ministry, and I believe that because I have peace in my spirit about it, and all this, you know, all this kind of nice talk. And but I was, you know, I knew, like I just knew that was it. And the problem was, my aunt and uncle were still going to the church, so my mom and I now stopped going. We're done with it. My aunt and uncle are still going, and of course they're going, and they're hearing the preaching wrath coming from her, which was. You know, it was roundabout. She wasn't specifically saying our names, but she was pulling out verses about backsliders and things like that. So, so were you disowned by your aunt and uncle because yeah. you were now backsliders as as both of you? 
Well, they were they were definitely they definitely didn't know what to do. They were a bit cold. They were, but you know, they were our family, so they were like, "What's going on?" And they didn't know who to believe or what's you know what to believe. So they continued going to church, uh, but they left eventually. But it was tough for my aunt because she didn't leave with an experience like I left. She left feeling guilty. She left feeling like, "Should I be leaving?" You know, like, "Is this the right thing?" Um, so they didn't they didn't disown us, but she left relatively soon after we did. I, I would say probably a few months or something. So, so my mom and I find a new church, and we find an Assemblies of God church, which is Pentecostal but way lower key. Like this is super low key. Like they barely raise their hands, or like you know a few brave people will raise their hands. <laughs> and we're so indoctrinated at this point. Like we're so indoctrinated with giving God praise and worship and all these things that like we go in and now we're like the judgmental people in this in this nice congregation and we're talking having conversations with the pastor like shouldn't we you know up the ante on the praise and like you know so like all of a sudden we're these like crazy charismatic people coming into this like somewhat charismatic church and oh so back to the brownsville thing so like i said i heard brownsville and i said to my mom i said i heard i heard brownsville but i don't know i don't know what that means and there was a church at the time uh in pensacola florida and it was called brownsville and they had had what people in the Pentecostal church referred to as a revival, meaning people were getting healed, like the Holy Spirit was breaking out there. A lot of people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. People were getting healed of diseases. You know, it's the salt. The church grew leaps and bounds in like, you know, a matter of a year. And so I was like, well, I guess God wants me to go to Brownsville. And so I, I book a random ticket for just, I just picked random dates. And I was like, oh, I'm going, going to Brownsville going to go to this church. I, I don't know why. And I, I book my ticket. I'm in the, I'm in the airport and I'm fasting. Look, it took me years to get all the indoctrination out of, you know, of my life. So I'm, I'm fasting sure. because that's just what I was used to doing to try to be spiritual. I'm reading this really boring, you know, book about the Bible and I'm in the airport and I'm sitting there and I'm just, you know, reading my book and I have this thought, I wonder if God wants me to meet a girl. And as I look up from my book, I see a girl <laughs> across across the way, and I hear in my mind, that's her. And I'm like, nah, that's crazy. That's nothing. Uh, you know, I'm just going to ignore that. And then we get to Atlanta, and we have a layover in Atlanta, and there's like an extra long layover for some, some something was wrong. You know, and so they're like, we're giving out meal vouchers. Come get your meal voucher. So I was fasting. I was like, God, should I eat? And uh, this is how micromanaged my life was, is that you know, I had to ask God, can I can I eat? You know what I mean? So I take the meal voucher. and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go eat. So I go sit at, I go, I go to Chili's, put my name in. I'm sitting there waiting. And as I'm sitting there waiting, here comes this girl walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, man, the devil just get behind me, Satan. This kind of thing. I'm like, he's trying to ruin my trip with this, you know, with this girl. And this girl comes, she puts her name in, sits down, not kidding, next to me, starts talking to me, asking me, you know, am I going to Pensacola? Yeah. She's going for, she's going for a work trip. And she's asking me, well, what are you going for? And I was like, well, I'm going to visit a church. <laughs> and she, she obviously thought it was weird. And so then they call my name. So I was like, and I felt weird leaving her there. So I was like, do you want to eat with me? And she's like, yeah. So she comes and she eats with me. And she's like, wants to hear all about this church that I'm going to, why I'm going to a church. 
And then she basically invites herself. She's like, well, I want to come check it out. And I was like, okay, fine, I guess. Uh, you know, like here I thought I was going on this spiritual mission and this girl's like getting in my way. And then it dawns on me. I'm like, wait a minute, maybe like she's going to get saved. Or maybe I'm going to minister to this girl and she's going to get saved. So she comes to, it was a Wednesday night thing and they had like a little praise service and stuff like that. And after church service, we're out in the car and she's asking me all these questions about what was going on. And she was raised Catholic and I was, I'm explaining it to her and I start like witnessing to her. I'm reading her Bible verses and I'm telling her about the Holy spirit and how you could speak in tongues. She's like, well, I want that. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, let's, let's go back and we'll find some pastors at the church and they'll pray with you. Cause I didn't have the confidence to do it, you know, myself. So she's like, okay. So we go back to the church and I found these two guys. I'm like, this girl wants to get the Holy Spirit. And so like we took her into a room and we did the tarrying thing. And literally for her, like a couple minutes and she's rolling on the floor and she's, and she's like speaking in tongues and rolling on the floor and had this whole thing. And so she has this whole like big awakening and like she's just on like, can't believe it. And she's calling her dad and telling him what's going on. And it turns out she lived close to me. She was in Delaware. I was in South Jersey. So... Uh, she came to church with me like one more time, and then when we got back home, she started she started coming to this church with me. And it turns out that she told me and my mom that while she was rolling on the floor and getting the Holy Spirit, that God told her that I was going to be her husband. And so you got to understand at this point, my this is I am like on cloud nine. Like first of all, I'm out of the church that I wanted to be out of. This is to me evidence that what I heard when I heard Brownsville that this is right. Like this is this is my proof. Like this girl just got saved, and you know, and it's because I listened to God. So even though I wasn't initially like super attracted to her, she wasn't really my type. The whole thing was so exciting, and I was just I was in. Like I was just all in, and I was like, yeah, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Like pretty much right after that, and I was very good. I was this good spiritual leader. I you know wouldn't go past kissing. You know, we didn't do any any kind of foreplay or anything. It was all very, you know, uh, on the up and up. And her dad was a bit freaked out by the whole thing. Um, it's obviously a very extreme shift. Yeah. And I'll, this part's not super, like, all the details aren't super important, so I'll cut to it. But she, basically, my mom and I were pressuring her in certain ways to, like, get her mom saved and all these things. And, we again, we were so what you call legalistic, meaning, you know, we, we kept the law of the Bible uh, as opposed to the spirit of the Bible. And, you know, it was just what we were indoctrinated with. And she got to a point where she got freaked out. She went to a church across the street from her to talk to the pastor there. It happened to also be an Assemblies of God church. And he told her, he's like, they're legalists. You need to get away from them. And so she just ghosted, basically, after six months or several of, you know, of us dating and talking about marriage. Wow. And, like, wouldn't call me back, couldn't get a hold of her. Uh, and I was just, I mean, absolutely heartbroken, like heartbroken as you can be. Because uh, now it's like now everything's falling apart. Like this thing that I had that I believe that this was God's sign, now it's all falling apart. Now I'm questioning, you know, is, did I do the right thing? Was I really hearing God? And so my mom said after several months of me just being down in the dumps and hoping she was going to come back and being really depressed, my mom was like, I think you should move to L.A. or go to L.A. I think she should go to L.A. for pilot season. So in 2002, January, I drove out to L.A., came out for pilot season. And 
uh, I ended up staying because I booked a few commercials. I really liked it here. I made some friends and uh, I made some Christian friends and was like going to church with them. Much more, you know, just sort of liberal, your standard uh, churches and things like that now. And it took me at least three years to, to really get over that whole thing. I just couldn't get my mind around what had happened, you know, or like why this whole thing that was everything was working perfectly just suddenly fell apart. In hindsight, I realized that I had to be broken because I was so rigid in my beliefs that I had no compassion for other people. I was like, you can, you have the victory over this. You can power through this God, you know what I mean? Like just zero compassion. And, 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 and so this finally softened me and gave me compassion. And, 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 uh, so in hindsight, I needed, I needed to be broken in order to start a new journey. And so where I'm at now is I've spent countless days and hours and years. Uh, well, this is where all the, all the memorizing of the Bible that I did kind of came in handy because all the things they taught me, you know, I would, I would start recalling, especially Galatians was one of the most important books because they're very, like I said, legalistic, which means that they go by the law of Moses. So the Old Testament law that God gave to the Jews, there's tons of laws. There's like 600 and 431, I forget the number of, of laws. And some of them are moral laws and some are, you know, uh, ceremonial laws. Right. Cultural, like ceremonial ritual laws. Right. Yeah. So this is all the stuff that would like organize as kosher and exactly. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so the entire book of Galatians is, you know, you received the spirit. Everything you got was through your faith. And now you're going back to trying to obey the law. You're, you're letting people tell you that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And these are Old Testament things. And he goes, you know, he, he does a whole amazing thing about you're not saved by the law. The law does you no good. Uh, you're saved by grace and faith and, and this kind of a thing. And so that really started to release me as I was reading. And I'm like, yeah, this is the opposite of what I believed. And here I was memorizing this book and yet not really even understanding what it was saying because I was just memorizing it to memorize it. But it would come back to me later in, in little bursts and I would I would be like, wait a minute, you know, yeah, I'm not supposed to be obeying the law. Like it's not about obeying laws. And anyway, it's been a really slow 15 year at this point unraveling of my belief. And then uh, I, you know, to wrap it up, I sort of got interested in science and evolution. And all I can say is that an evolutionary worldview just makes so much sense to me. And it, it clears up all of my thoughts about the world and morality and, and these kind of things. And that's probably a whole separate conversation. But for me, it's what, it's what makes sense. And it even puts religion in perspective because I think religion is some kind of a byproduct of evolution because wherever you look in the world we live in, no matter, you know, if it was a thousand years ago or now, people are religious, you know, in some way, shape or form, people tend to be religious uh, and we're tribal. And so, you know, we pass our religions on locally to where we are and we see what we believe is right and what the other people believe is wrong. And this goes on and, you know, this is in politics and even sports and, you know what I mean? Like all facets of human life, we're, we're tribal and, and we're belief oriented. So I've, I, I, I see the world through scientific eyes now. And, and, you know, I think that religion has served a lot of good things. I mean, I think there's ups and downs to everything. I think that it's, it, 
you know, it gives moral boundaries to communities. I think it gives uh, people just that, a sense of community and a sense of we agree on what's right and what's wrong and uh, certain, you know, elements of thankfulness and things that I think are important when you're living in a community. And so it has a lot of advantages, but it also has, in my experience, as I've, you know, shared a lot of disadvantages and a lot of things that it can personally mess you up. Um, At what point do you stop going to church? How long were you, like... I was teaching a men's Bible study at, uh, at the house I lived in with my roommate for, for a couple of years. And then a guy came along who had uh, almost just as much knowledge as, as I had had uh, and, and a different perspective, a more liberal perspective. And I was just kind of burned out at this point. And I was like, yeah, why don't you do it? And you start teaching it. And so he started teaching a much more liberal message about not obeying the law and these kind of things. And, and it was kind of freeing. And um, I had been to several churches at this point in L.A., and this was a, sort of my last iteration of church, which which was he started a Sunday afternoon service, and we would go to that. And when I got married, my wife said, you know, she's like, I love everything he teaches, but I get it. Like, I've heard it a bunch of times, and I get it. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. And so we just kind of fizzled out. But I also got to a point where I was like, you know, I purposely was like, I just want to stop reading the Bible for a while. Like, I had done it because, you know, daily devotions, and you're supposed to read your Bible. But I was just like, I just don't want to read it anymore. And I'm, you know, how I want to think ago, for myself. How many years ago was that? Probably about eight or nine years ago. And when did you meet your, I mean, Jenna, your first yeah, wife? Yeah, uh, 12 years ago. So yeah. somewhere in somewhere in L.A. during the liberalizing of your Christian worldview and you're getting into the Bible study, but you're still, you're still Christian, you're unraveling layer by layer by layer, but it takes years and years and many, many yeah. layers to stop even calling yourself a Christian. Yeah. You're still doing, stripping little by little, but you're still doing well, lots of Christian Well, the interesting things. thing is I had, to be, I had to have something else to believe. I couldn't let go of Christianity, I realized this later, until I had something else to believe in. And that's what makes me realize that humans are really... We're creatures of belief. Like even if you're an atheist, that's a belief. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, once I had something else that I could go, well, this makes sense. I can lean on this. Uh, you know, then I can I could slowly let go of that. So it was it was a transition more than I didn't let go of Christianity and then go, what's out here? I found something that made sense to me. And that allowed me to let go. Which was your science reading and evolution and that kind of exactly. stuff. Yeah. How do you view these clearly, deeply beautiful, transcendent moments, these two transcendent moments where you you know at that time you were speaking to God or God spoke to you? And you're kind of not denying that now, but wh- how do you, or are you denying it? How do you, how do you contextualize it now? I definitely don't deny the experiences. The experiences for me were 100% real. And that's probably been the the hardest thing in all of this for me is is going. I've had these experiences where I've experienced this presence of God, yet I sort of refuse this story of God that I believe that kind of that got me there. The part that makes it easier is the experience I had leaving the church was that I knew that it was the same spirit, if you will, that told me or prompted me to leave. And I feel like I've just been on truly a faith walk since then. In other words, I followed it. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where any of this leads, but I'm just throwing up my hands and saying, okay, I'm on the journey and I'm going 
wherever this is taking me, uh, you know, along the way, I'm going to have to decide, I believe this, I don't believe that, but I'm just on the journey in faith, if you will. I, I'm not, I'm not a person of faith anymore the way that I used to be a person of faith, but I am a person of faith in that, uh, I've let go and I'm not worried about it. And to me, that's a big element of faith that I'm not concerned about it. And I, I think, you know, if, if someone were to ask me, well, then what was that experience if it wasn't Jesus and it wasn't the Holy Spirit? And I think there's an element of whatever God is can kind of meet people where they are, you know, whether you know information or don't know information or, you know, believe a certain thing. Uh, I think that you can be met in your time of need. Um, we use the tools that we have and we interpret through the lenses that we put mm. over our eyes. And so you are giving life to God a little bit by saying God can meet you, whatever God is can meet you at where you are in your time of need. And another way of saying that is we, there are a lot of different ways to have transcendent emotional experiences. One of the things that's extraordinarily peculiar and, and ecstatic about the human person is that we can have these amazing like experiences we can do it through drugs and we can mm. do it through just emotion. We can do it through sex. We can do it through friendship. We can do it through a, an amazing run. You know, mm -hmm. um, you can do it through just being out in the water in the ocean. Like there's whatever, pick your thing, man. Yeah. The humans can get high off basically anything. And you're talking about people that were, I mean, the intensity of having, I mean, just think about going to a therapy session, man. Like I go to therapy sessions and I'm like, fuck, that's awesome. That person just sat there and listened to me for an hour. And then, you know, these three people were shaking tambourines in your face, fucking screaming like that's an intense, beautiful amount of attention. Yeah. Like that's going to create an emotional experience for someone. They're going to put it in the framework of God. But if I sat around anyone for three hours, if we, yeah. if, if me and a couple buddies sat around anybody for an hour for, you know, nine weeks, we would start to get some emotional experience. If that person was trying to meet us with a sincere openness, which you were clearly doing, they're going to have an experience. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I went to a Tony Robbins conference a couple years ago, um, and he does a similar thing to the church in that you're you're using your body and your energy and you're going all out with you know your physicality you're jumping and pumping your fists and moving your body and i mean he has you're in there for literally 10 to 12 hours and the end of it you're not even tired you're literally you're buzzing your body's just you're alive and you're buzzing and it's just a you know there's just principles at play that if you use your physicality and and you know, I, I, I want to call it praise because in the church they call it praise, but when Tony Robbins does it, it's not praise, but it's very similar. If people were expecting something like speaking in tongues or rolling on the floor, I believe those things could happen in that environment, you know, because you're just conjuring is, is the word I used earlier is, you know, you're expecting an experience, you're working towards an experience, everyone's in the same mindset. Things can happen. Why they happen, I don't know. What The spiritual realm... I don't know. I think there's obviously to me, there's something there. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't try to explain it or say I have the answers, but yeah. 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 What a fucking story, dude. Holy shit. You told a story. Yeah. That's a fucking story. I'm blown away. And so I think probably to cap it, the interesting thing for me is I'm not a Christian anymore, 
But when people ask me if I believe in God, the answer is I do believe in God, but I don't, when I say the word God, I don't, I don't mean it the way that we normally hear it and think about it. I don't think that you can put whatever God is in some kind of a box and package them up and go, this is it. He wants you to believe this. This is all inclusive of him. I think God is just so far beyond any of our comprehension. So I believe that that energy or that life form or whatever exists, but I don't try to define it. I don't believe that I can define it. I don't believe that I have some knowledge that someone else doesn't have that I can impart to you. Uh, you know, if anything, just like Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I pray that they will know that they are one the same way that you and I are one, you know, and that you are one with God. And that's what I believe about myself is not that God's in me, but that I'm just one manifestation of God in that sense. Because I believe God himself is a polarity. I don't, I don't, I think that um, God and the devil is a, is, a, is, a, is a narrative way that we tell the story of polarity, just like the yin-yang symbol is a symbol of what's going on in the world, which is there's light and darkness, there's up and down, there's good and bad, there's in and out. Well, there's God and devil. But where did devil come from? Because God created all things. He, you know, He's sitting there existing all by himself, and he starts creating, and sin is somewhere there. Well, where did that sin come from? Because I see God as two sides of one coin. In other words, I think just like you might see yourself as both good on good days and evil on evil days, I think God's the same in that. In other words, I think the energy of God is almost in conflict with itself, but we call it God and the devil. In other words, we give we give the devil a name, but... I was just listening to, um, in the episode just before yours, I was just listening to a very devout... Um, conservative Jewish man who, who uh, his name is also David, David Sachs, who at one point mentions something that he finds very interesting, which is uh, some people think that the Garden of Eden was a place of pure like bliss with God, but if that was the case, why was the snake there? And mm. uh, so the thought... I think sort of fits with something you're sort of talking about. Um, and it's in my mind because I was just talk, listening to this guy a few days ago. Yeah. Well, how did sin enter heaven? If heaven's a perfect place, how did sin enter? Right. The earth was a perfect place. How did sin enter? Right. You know, and they, they always use the excuse that, well, God had to enact man's free will by giving him, you know, don't eat from the tree of not. Otherwise, he didn't have free will. And I, I say bullshit to that because... Look, if I, I have a six-year-old son. If I take my six-year-old son into a room filled with toys and I walk him in and I shut the door, he has free will. He can mm. do whatever he wants. If I walk him into the same room and I say, don't play with that red truck, and I shut the door, he doesn't have free will anymore. He has a choice to make. Mm. Should I obey my own will or should I obey the will of my father? Mm. So I actually just took away his free will by giving mm. him that choice. Um, but again, I think that it's a narrative story in a time of human darkness of understanding. Like mm -hmm. now that we have science, now that we know certain things, we can piece together why our behavior is the way it is, you know, but before knowing any of this, I mean, yeah, we have a self-centered point of view. The earth is all there is. There's stars out there. There's a sun that's going around, you know, it's rising and falling. Well, none of that's actually true, right? But that's what we believed. 
you know, so we were we were in darkness knowledge from a knowledge point of view. And now we're coming into, you know, a time of knowledge and understanding. And in my opinion, that's going to lead to the end of religion. I think the end of religion is very far away in, you know, in many ways, but I think we're at the start. Yeah. I, I kind of have a sim. I mean, I have a similar viewpoint on yeah. that stuff. I'm in certainly in a point in my life where very much I adhere to and love the chronology of the universe and what we know about the earth's formation and evolution. And it explains so much to me about why people have amazing and gorgeous cultural traditions in one area versus a different mm-hmm. one in a different area. All, all what you just spoke about. Yeah. I also came out of a religious background, but man, did I not come out of the same fucking extreme background you did? That's an extraordinary story, man. I mean, it's really powerful. You tell it in a really powerful way. And you had told me that you had a powerful story to tell, but I did not know what you were going to say. So, I mean, I really appreciate you coming in, man. That is really cool. Do you feel like you left left it all in the field? <laughs> it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, I have so like I have so many things. Like I could talk about this stuff for days. You know what I mean? So yeah, man. I kind of feel like I want you to come back in and talk again someday. <laughs> I don't know. I'll give you like some time. <laughs> I'd love to. Anytime. Anytime. No, man. Really, this was really extraordinary and well, so generous and cool. So thank, thank you so you. much. Well, thank you for having me on, and thank you for what you're doing, and you know, just listening to people's stories and getting it out there. It's it's needed. Yeah, thanks, man. It's really special. It's special to be a, the listener here in the present with you. So, all right, and thank you all for listening. Bye.